Hey, it's Adam here, and I want to tell you where you can get more free sex and how you can support the podcast. I'm building a kind of hub for the project on Substack. It's just freesex.substack.com. I'm publishing transcripts for all episodes there for free and occasional writings about free sex for subscribers only. Plus, you can interact with me and stuff like that. To make this podcast, I'm relying on contributions from listeners. My indie podcast company, Artnell, has invested in getting it going, and I'm paying my guests. But the only way I can fund it from now is with support from people like you, who subscribe at freesex.substack.com. Or you can just continue listening to the podcast for free and using the transcripts on the Substack if you need them. Thanks for joining me as we edge ever closer to a world of free sex. What does free sex mean to you? Do you ever think you'd have more sex or better sex if only you could change one thing? What is that thing? I'm Adam Smith, a writer, podcast producer, walker, talker, thinker, wanker. (laughs) I started having sex at 29. 29! And I've been obsessed ever since. Now I'm on a mission to find out how, as a society, we hold each other back in sex. What could a world of free sex look like? For me, free sex is a world with more places to fuck and without sexually transmitted infections. How about you? What are you into? Every episode, I speak to a different human with a unique idea for what free sex could mean. This podcast is fully pansexual and gender fluid. From mild to wild, everyone is welcome. Let's go. My guest in this episode is Dr. Laurie Beth Bisbee. I'm not going to lie, since I watched Dr. Laurie counsel countless couples into opening up their relationships in a reality TV show called Open House, I've been a bit obsessed with her. I just think she's great. (laughs) She's got decades of experience as a therapist, specialising in sex and relationships, especially kink stuff, by the way. And she's got a brilliant way of communicating about all these complex factors that are going on for us. Dr. Laurie also makes great telly, to be honest. Open House is on Channel 4 in the UK, and I really recommend it. In fact, I was a bit starstruck when she said that she would speak to me for free sex. (laughs) So here I go. Time for my session with Dr. Laurie. Dr. Laurie Beth Bisbee, thank you so much for coming on to Free Sex. Uh, it's great to have you today. It's my pleasure to be here. And my question, as you know, is, and probably it's a question that you get asked all the time, what does free sex mean to you? Or in other words, what's stopping us having the sex that we want? Uh, so free sex is really just um, engaging in the physical intimacy that you want to have with other people and on your own. 
Let's not, let's not forget solo sex. Yes. And what gets in the way in my experience over 36 years are um, a lack of education, mm-hmm. um, a, a huge lack of knowledge, and also the taboo that that um, most cultures still have around sex and intimacy. Right. So let's take taboo first then. Tell me more from your experience of working with people, how that presents itself, what are the obstacles um, all the different things that come up there. I mean, so people who are raised in Western cultures, particularly ones where there's um, one of the Abrahamic religions, mm-hmm. um, often have ta- loads of taboo around sex. Um, sex is, they've frequently been raised with the idea that sex is for procreation only, um, that the only sex that's acceptable is um, penis and vagina sex, which is something that could pro- procreate. Um, sex before marriage is often off the table. Um, multiple partners is off the table. Partners of different genders is off the table. I mean, all of those taboos are still in place. And though we are exposed to so much more um, in the modern world, and although um, there's so much more acceptance of alternatives there's still huge taboo around alternatives. So it's one thing to kind of feel okay about that in the abstract. Mm-hmm. But when it comes down to people feeling okay about themselves and, mm-hmm. and being able to move past shame, it's, it's still an issue. Right. It's, it's, how has that changed over 36 years of practice for you? To be fair, not very much. I know that sounds really odd, um, but what I notice is that um, we talk about things more. So people have, and of course there's an internet, which there wasn't mm-hmm. an active internet at the beginning of my practice. There was some internet, but not hugely mm-hmm. active. Um, people have more knowledge. Sometimes they have the wrong knowledge, but they do have more <laughs> knowledge. Um and um, people are aware of more, but they're still not self-accepting. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, I would say that there's a small increase of people who actually, who indulge in what we would consider to be alternatives to heteronormative mm-hmm. sex, um, who come for therapy or coaching for some reason, and they're com- fully comfortable with who they are already. So that's different from when I first started out. Okay. Um, There are, it's a small group, but um, people still have issues. The same issues still come up. Yeah. And that's something that's been consistent, like all over this time. So what has stopped those, um, those messages getting out there over those 36 years that you've been practicing then, you know, you've been doing everything that you can, but. I mean, I still think we don't, you know, the messages aren't clearing out there. They've not been getting out there for 36 years. I mean, look at when, you know, um, gay marriage was, you know, only recently legalized. And and in the United States, it's still questionable, right? Because they're going backwards right at the moment. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And uh, although we talk about kink and BDSM and and that's become into the mainstream through... um, through art primarily, right? Cinema, books, yeah. and art, movies. Um, again, it's still not mainstream. The message that these are normal variations has not gotten across, mm-hmm. um, in part because I think sex education still has not vastly improved. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so m- people are learning from oh, various sources on the internet and they don't know how to um, judge what's um, what's a good source and what's not a good source. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They're no longer taught critical thinking in school. <laughs> yeah. Um, like when I was growing up, I'm 60 years old, so I'm... I was born in 63. So I'm a couple generations back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, developing critical thinking skills was a, was a big part of school curriculum. Um, mm-hmm. just like we did things like, um, debate class. So we could learn to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes, take a yeah. different viewpoint, learn how to come to a centrist viewpoint. I mean, these were things that were considered important for living in society, um, that don't exist in school anymore. So kids aren't taught how to evaluate the data that they get. And now there's a huge amount of data out there. Mm. Um, And so, you know, people watch pornography and think that that's educational when actually it's entertainment. You know, they learn from sources and they get the most skewed sources of information and they don't even know where to go to get the, the right information. So I think that that, unfortunately... Although we do have much more information available, the quality of it is questionable. Right. And people don't know how to evaluate it. And that's interesting how that still feeds into the taboo because, you know, there is an idea, isn't there, that the more information that's out there, the better because that um, disinfects things like taboos because people have more information. Um, I know what you're saying about the fact that you know, there's too much information. And if you don't have the skills to, um, to make, you know, yeah, to make decisions to like filter through that information, that's a problem. But it's, um, it feels like there's been this like movement. Um, and a lot of, I think people in the, in the arts and creative sector, like believe in the power of representation so much to reduce stigmas and taboos. But you're saying from your experience, that's not what's happened. I think representation is great, except that it representation doesn't happen in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. So, um, like what we've got going on now, um, and, and we also have social media, which, which makes things worse, yeah. which it's unfortunate, but it makes things worse. And the reason that it makes things worse is because we've got weird, bizarre AI algorithms that feed people what they're going to see. So yeah. you're not getting a bunch of information and you get to choose what you watch and you will see viewpoints different from your own. Yeah. Right. You could have an algorithm that actually put different viewpoints in front of you. Yeah. Um, to help people learn to think for themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and 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 make distinctions. But that's not what happens. What mm. happens is people end up in an echo chamber. So we end up with polarized communities. So um, whereas in the past, representation, I think, was doing a good job. Now it's gotten to the point where everything is so extreme that there's all sorts of virtue signaling going on that that various populations, uh, more mainstream populations are now being ignored. So mm-hmm. in an effort to make sure everyone's represented, um, there are lots of, of mainstream folks who are no longer represented. They no longer see themselves. Right. And that isn't the way to do things. Right. That doesn't redress the balance. All it does is anger a bunch of people. All it does is set up um, a polarity that doesn't help people learn to to accept. It pushes people further away. It's done like a slap in the face instead of intelligently. 
Right. With no education, right? Can you can you give a couple of examples that are about sex there? Well, most of the ones I see are about gender, right? Oh, Not okay, sex, go on. Right? Yeah. Most of the ones I see are about gender. So in an effort to make sure that we're representing um, all genders well, yeah. um, uh, uh, you know, we're seeing far, far less of um, cisgendered men, for example, yeah. <laughs> represented. Yeah. Um, but also far, far less cisgendered females represented. Yeah. Um, and so some people would be like, that's great. That's great. Except that actually the people, when you're looking at, a, when you're a major, minority and you're looking at a majority and you want the majority to learn to accept the wider mm-hmm. flavors and all mm-hmm. the minorities, what mm-hmm. you don't do is spit in their faces. Right. Right. And right. so it's, it's this, there's no effort made to consider what those people who have never seen this before, never dealt with this before, who find this odd and strange mm-hmm. and threatening because things that are different, people often find threatening. Yeah. How do we approach them in a way to invite them in? Yeah, That's not what happens. People are still angry because they've not been invited in. They've been oppressed. So you get things like companies completely misreading what their actual um consumers are going to tolerate yeah because they're not they're not thinking about how it is what happens when you want somebody to take in new and different information and accept it yeah because they don't they don't learn about those things that's Uh, they're coming from a marketing and a sales perspective and if we talk a little bit about kink and bdsm which as you said earlier has been represented more and more um and that has sort of like opened the gates i think a lot more for for some in, you know for lots of individuals um be just because they've seen that and yet they're still going through those gates dragging their taboos with them so um but maybe we, we've done the same thing with kink and bdsm i mean yeah. look look at look at like um look at the number of times that somebody's done an advert campaign using kink and bdsm and not actually taking the temperature Right. Uh, Balenciaga is the one that stands out most to me yeah. where they did the, um, the, the leather teddy bears and stuff. Yeah. With that, the, there was, there was a kid in the picture and there le- was a kid like in the picture leather and kinky teddy bears, kinky yeah. teddy bears. And that offended like huge, huge numbers of people. And yeah. so completely defeated the purpose of what they were trying to do in the first place. And I think there's a lot of that with kink and BDSM. There's lots, you know, there's also lots of fear around this. Um, mm-hmm. and anything people are, have fear around it's really difficult to gain acceptance so the message on the one hand is yeah this is normal and it's less taboo and on the other hand is yeah but you don't really want to know anybody who does this right? and how does that manifest in the clients that you see when I, they come and talk to you about BDSM? I mean, people come in for a variety of reasons. People know that this is an area of my expertise. So I get people coming in who are experienced, who have self-acceptance and they're coming in because they're wanting to work on something to do with their relationship and, and, uh-huh. re- and they understand that I have an understanding of that relationship, those relationship patterns. So that's one thing. But people who are coming in because they're, um, they have discomfort with it, I still get loads of people who are coming in who want to know if they're normal, you know? Yeah. Am I normal? Am I okay? Am I okay? Yeah. Um, because I have this fantasy, because I have this desire, am I okay? I mean, I, so I've been I've been touring the UK with a, a talk called The Psychology of Fetish and Kink. 
Um, and, um, it's a seed talk and I cover the topic. I, I tell stories and people have the opportunity to ask questions and mm -hmm. what have you. So, um, I'm traveling around the UK by train and taxis between the train station and the venue. Mm -hmm. And I'm in, um, taking a taxi to the train station the other day. I won't say the city. Um, <laughs> and the, you know, the taxi driver's like, Oh, what are you doing? And so I say, this is what I'm doing. And he said, you know, Oh, I have this kink and I'm concerned about it right there. Like, right you wow. know, yep. in the taxi. <laughs> um, Did you, know, you start your own meter? <laughs> yeah, I'd like to really. <laughs> Um, but it was one of those situations where the thing, the thing that he was interested in, um, was really common. Like it, you mm -hmm. know, it was like really common and he was okay with his interest, but wanted to figure out how to talk to a partner. So that's the other thing people bring. Like yeah. I have this kink, but I've never told my spouse. Yeah. Um, and so I, a lot of people come into, um, coaching or therapy because of that, because they've never spoken to their spouse and they don't know how to bring it up. Yeah. Um, and we start there, but it's fascinating to me, you know, it's, it's mainstream enough that people know about it. Yeah. But don't actually have the information they need to, to kind of move forward. And I, I noticed about, about two years ago when I started letting people in that I had a foot fetish that, um, probably half the people that I said that to said, oh my God, me too. And I, and we, we were like, well, we've known each other for 10 years. How, you know, how, did, how did we not know this, um, so far? So, um, there is this idea, isn't there, that talking about it just as a sort of category one is a useful thing. Um, and that's, I guess what the taxi driver was doing with you, yeah. um, for free. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah. So, so just kind of talking about it and bring it up, but what stops people from actually manage, even if they're able to talk about it, um, what stops them coming to you for, you know, to get the kind of support that they really need? I mean, people don't value their, um, their mental health, their relationship health in the same way that they'll look at, you know, going to the gym or, um, taking mm -hmm. care of their bodies. Um, mm -hmm they think there's so, still so many myths, like the idea that sex and sexuality is supposed to be natural. Um, and so you shouldn't need any help. You should just mm -hmm. be able to do it or this mm -hmm. bizarre, um, which we see more with heteronormative folks, this bizarre idea that you should know what each other wants, like by oh, it's Moses, you know, <laughs> like, like there's some easy way and, and yeah. you know, that you don't have to talk about sex. I'm always amazed. Like on open house, one of the things that amazed me most was the number of couples where I said, well, you know, and, and what are your conversations about sex usually look like? And yeah. they looked at me and said, we don't talk about sex. Yeah. You know, and they're people yeah. together for 15 years and they've never. And that's people presenting themselves to be on a reality TV show yeah. on national television yeah. where they know that they're going to be filmed in a session with you, a therapist yes. talking about sex. Yes. And they're like, well, we never talked about sex. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Right. right. So let's start there. You want to talk about opening your relationship up and you don't even know what each other desires. I mean, how are we, yeah. how are we supposed to do that? Um, yeah. So there's that. Um, and it's because people don't prioritize it. They don't think that they should need to spend money on it. Mm -hmm. um, and so people don't come because um, coaching and therapy are expensive. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, depending on who you decide to see, they're more or less expensive. I'm very expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, I make no bones about it. Um, I don't see many people these mm -hmm. days. Um, and so it's really interesting to me. It's they'll spend money 
on holidays. They'll buy each other presents. They'll buy 50 self-help books. They'll go to 70 (laughs) talks, you know, and they won't get any individual help. And so things like talks and self-help books, and I have DIY courses and things that we do that are Mm -hmm. less expensive or free sometimes, Mm -hmm. um, are a great intro, but if you want to sort your own stuff out, that usually means actually one-on-one or, or right. one to the couple. Yeah. And there's actually a, a just as much shame about needing to go and talk to a therapist as there is about the kink itself. Right. Which right. I find really sad. I mean, there should be no shame. I try and explain to people that this isn't about there being something wrong with you. This mm-hmm. is about the fact that because I have no skin in the game, because I don't care what the outcome is, mm-hmm. I am going to have a more objective stance. Mm-hmm. And the ability, I yeah. do two things really well. I hold safe space incredibly well. Mm-hmm. I ask good questions, excellent mm-hmm. questions. So three things. And I don't care about the outcome. So I can facilitate you changing in the direction you need to change without it impacting me. Yeah. And if you go and talk to your friends, they have skin in the game. Yeah. Yeah. And anytime that's the case, they can help with certain things, but with some things you are going to be getting their bias, not because they want to give you their bias, not because Mm -hmm. they aren't trying their best, but the fact is they don't, they're, they know you, they're entwined with you. They aren't neutral. A a little while ago, you mentioned the term mental health and how this conversation about sex and relationships is part of mental health. Mm. I think not a lot of people think of this and not specifically sex as part of their mental health. Is that something that you find as well? And how do we change that? Because that's another thing that's stopping people having good sex is because they don't, they don't perceive it as to be part of their overall health. Right. But I don't know what they perceive it as, though. You know, I mean, it's so it's so <laughs> if it's, it's not that. So for many for so even yeah. so for all people, pleasure is 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 a necessary part of life. And yeah. I move it from sex to pleasure because people's definitions of sex are so narrow that yeah. it becomes an issue trying to talk about this. So, yeah. for example, you have somebody say they're asexual, which then and then turn around and talk about the way they enjoy having an orgasm. Mm-hmm. which will make people go, what? Mm-hmm. Like, but you have an orgasm. How can you be asexual? I right. think using the term asexual is a misnomer, right? Because mm-hmm. often what people are saying is that I don't think about sex in the traditional way you do, the traditional ways of sex I'm not interested in. Okay. Right. that's not what turns me on. Those traditional yeah. things don't turn me on. And so I think when we talk about pleasure, it makes it easier for people to understand and find places they can relate separate from all their labels. Uh Aha. Yes. And people need physical affection. Yeah. Humans need physical affection. Yeah. And humans need pleasure. Yeah. And so when we look at it like that, it then becomes part of your health. Yeah. That seems very logical. That seems very sensible when you say it like that. But I think nine times out, nine people out of 10, they're not seeing it like no, that. No, and they'd and be completely shocked. It's a huge challenge. They, yeah. They'd be completely shocked to hear it put that way. But yeah. it's just another part of our lives. You know, we're animals. We are animals. We are physically yeah. animals. And yeah. um, this is in, embedded in us. 
Yeah. We process it differently because we have um, the higher brain functioning that other animals don't have, mm-hmm. which sometimes when it comes to sex and pleasure um, and joy mm-hmm. really sets us back. Yeah. Because we overanalyze lots of things that yeah. we really don't need to overanalyze. Right. Yeah. So in a way, our brains is another thing stopping us having yeah. free sex. Yeah. Well, <laughs> overthinkers. Well, overthinkers, raise your hands. Yeah. Yeah. Overth- <laughs> overthinkers, raise your hands. I mean, like so many. It's it's ridiculous. So many people are yeah. overthinkers. Yeah. Um, and, and sex is a great area to overthink. Yes. Yeah. It's a classic one. I spend um, a lot of time trying to get people out of their heads. You know, that's, that's, you know, great sex is being completely present. Now that involves your brain too, because your brain is like the best erogenous zone there is. Um, But not in your head, not overthinking, not thinking about sex, not, but actually there present with your partner. That is the single best um, advice I can give to people is, is find ways to be present. 100% present in the now when you're having sex. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And how much of that is different for every single person that you speak to? uh, And how much are there kind of universal uh, or common tricks that you can do to short circuit the brain there? Oh, well, I mean, there are loads of common tricks to to short circuit the brain. Yeah. There are loads of ways that you can get people to practice um, ways to stop overthinking, ways to put yeah. themselves in the now um, and being you present. Find being present. And you can find, I know a lot of people talk about it in terms of mindfulness. I don't like the term mindfulness. Um, mm-hmm. I never have. It's um, even before it was trendy, you didn't like it. I didn't like it before it was trendy. And then it very quickly <laughs> became trendy. Yeah. I always liked the idea. Of and you pre- threw your hands up. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, because that's what people talk about. But I always liked the idea yeah. of, of being present, being grounded, sitting mm. in your body. Because these are the kinds of words that you don't use when you're talking about mindfulness most of the time. Yeah. Um, and the fact that we're actually using the word mind in a term where I'm of something I'm trying to get people to stop being up yes. there. So yes, yes, that's true. It, it's kind and of, also, I mm-hmm. I mean, I, I noticed that as well. Um if, if I, if I can share a little bit, um, kind of in my, you know, in my own sex life, um, which, which is, which has been going on for 10 years now. Um, I'm 38 and, uh, it's so, and a lot of that has involved a lot of casual sex and a lot of anonymous sex, a bit less so now. Um, but so much of the time when it's in that, when it's in that mode, um, there's clearly, um, a lack of presence, um, mm-hmm. uh, either, you know, from, from anyone in the room, I've noticed it in myself. And so once I started noticing it in myself, I then could notice it in other people. Um, and it's been like a, it's been really interesting to see that. And then to sort of find ways in that moment to just be like, Hey, you know, like we're here, 
let's just like take a moment and let's yeah let's sit exactly let's settle into this moment and there's 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 no hurry (laughs) all of those things one of the things i find really interesting about that is that there's um there's a paradox for some people being present is easier in an anonymous setting Mm -hmm. especially people with with kinks that they're not from they're not out to their partners about or they're not totally comfortable with that being in an anonymous setting they can be completely present and completely embodied and completely enjoy what they're doing and it's only when they actually put they're actually in um a setting with somebody where they care what the person thinks that it becomes an issue so i just find that really interesting because it's like if if you don't care what the person thinks, then you can talk about it. If you don't care what the person thinks, then you can do what you need to do about it. Um, yeah. But if you actually care what the person thinks, yeah, it suddenly becomes a really big issue. Uh, yeah, and that's that's. It seems like a paradox, doesn't it? Because like you want the other per, you want to be connected to the other person in body and mind, um, but not in that way. Because that's the thing that holds you back. If well, you're yeah, thinking, I mean, if you're so caring too much about what they're people thinking still about want you. to. They're just desperately afraid that their partner or or you know their partner is going to re- reject them, yeah, or be horrified or disgusted by them. Yeah. And so you know, people often ask me, when should you tell somebody about your kinks? I'm like, on the first date. Yes. Right. Yes. Like, like, do not get attached to somebody. I remember having an argument with a um, um, a colleague about this. They mm-hmm. were um, was doing this dating thing, and I was taking part in it as as a, as an expert. And um, she was, oh, I just don't think it's ever appropriate to talk about sex on the first date. And I was like, oh. I was like, well, if you're not sexually compatible, then the rest of it is it's a waste of time uh, right and it was like well it's not that important other things are more important and i said see Uh that's why people don't talk about this yeah and they don't talk about pleasure because that that is a holdover that's a holdover from a really puritan viewpoint that this isn't important but actually if you want to procreate it's still important yeah right like you need to be able you need to be able to procreate yes which, which you absolutely cannot do if you're never having sex yeah a yeah. quick, quick story. I had a um, couple referred to me from um, a fertility clinic. Um, this was many, many years ago because mm-hmm. they were fighting in the at the clinic. Like, oh, argue, wow. In I mean, the clinic. Yeah. In the clinic. The arguments were so loud that that the other patients were upset and the doctors were like, you need some therapy. So wow. I ended up with the referral. I can't even remember how I ended up with it, but I got it. And they were sitting in front of me and I take a thorough, thorough history as I do. Um, and I ask about their sex life and why the, and also why they were seeking fertility treatment. And I was the person to discover that they never had penetrative sex. Okay. Like the fertility clinic had never asked them. They hadn't discovered that. So nobody, nobody knew that the reason that she never got pregnant was because he never ejaculated inside her. Mm -hmm. Right. Wow. And that was like. Because people don't, because often, even in my profession, people don't ask questions. Yeah. And I I was like, okay, so do your doctors know? And they were like, no. And I I, I said, don't you think you ought to tell them? (laughs) And they had decided that they were never going to have penetrative sex. Okay. Um, He had a fetish and... Mm -hmm. 
um, he could only reach orgasm in a certain, he had a true fetish, so he could only reach orgasm with With that that. fetish present. Um, And she was not at all interested and they weren't interested in trying to see how they could make it work and Mm -hmm. still have penetration. It just seemed too much. So they'd just taken themselves off for fertility treatment. Wow. Instead of talking to somebody about the sex issue. That's so instructive. Um, I also, before we finish, I want to talk a bit about Open House, which is this Channel 4 series and I, um, that you're on. And I, um, because maybe, um, you know, if you're seeing fewer patients, you're also doing these talks, you're doing these TV programs, um, you know, you're targeting that that thing that you diagnosed earlier about a lack of knowledge in, yes. in society, which is a thing that's holding us back from free sex. So you so channel four ring you up and say, Hey, we're doing this show where we're going to put lots of couples um, no, in a house not, that's not what with happened. sexy singles. Okay. Yeah. That's right. I want to hear it in your words. Okay, Tell so, me. So what happened was I got a call from somebody from the production company. It's not channel four. Um, yeah, of course. Firecracker films. And, yeah. um, this guy said, we were thinking of doing a thing. Yeah. What would you do? Aha. Uh-huh. And I said, um, and they gave me sort of an idea. We want to do something about couples opening up. And what would you do? And I said, well, I mean, I do periodic retreats. And this is something, yeah. I've done something similar to this, but not with a whole bunch of singles present, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I said, well, you know, you get them away. Um, you have some sessions about what they want with yeah. with me and um we have opportunities for them to try some things and yeah. then you know they have an opportunity they try something and they come back and see me and we see what happens yeah. you know we work with what what comes up um yeah. so we talked about it and they talked about it and they and they they put it in further development and in the end we came we ended up with this show yeah um wow so it really does kind of follow your recommendation of how to do this yeah because just 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 pause there for a minute because just i just want to say like that is clearly one of the reasons why i think it's such a good show and why other tv shows which are supposedly about sex are actually about pointing fun at the freaks yeah and this show is taking this seriously Seriously. so i want to thank you for that oh you're so welcome (laughs) i i wouldn't i wouldn't have been i i mean i turned down some other stuff I yeah. wouldn't have been involved if it if it wasn't. What I said is right. I'm okay with the with the entertainment part, and I understand how television works, and I understand if yeah. something isn't fun, people won't yeah. watch. Right? Correct. So yeah. that's really important. I yeah. said, but I want there to be education, and I want people yes. not to see a bunch of staged bullshit. Yes. If you pardon my French, yeah. um, I want them to have some understanding about what is involved with opening up your relationship. And so, um, you know, I mean, there were things that they decided to have that I didn't so much agree with, but nothing that made me uncomfortable. And, you know, and and I've done two series of it. I'm hoping I'll get get to do a third. It's great fun to do. So it's unscripted. And I don't know that that audiences understand that. It is unscripted. Um, They spend a lot more time with me than you see because I only get these little five-minute segments in the actual show because the part that's most interesting to people, supposedly, though I've had comments (laughs) back, people write to me and go, why can't we see more of what you do? I'm like... Right to the producers because I, right. you know, it's not, they're recording it. 
So it's there yeah, it exists, right? And and you know, there's this other show, Couples Therapy, which is which is managing to make a success and like real entertainment out of just filming. Obviously the the sessions are shorter in the edit than they are in real life, but yes. it is just as purely the therapist room and the couple talking to them. Yeah. It's a different kind of success and it's a different audience. Of course. That yeah, that, yeah. That's being targeted, I'm sure. Yeah, um, I'm sure. And I mean, I would do something like that. That would be fun too, but I love doing this. So, you know, the couple yeah. comes in, we have a group of singles and couples who are the residents Mm-hmm. Um, and we rotated people through there. So we didn't have the same people all the time, the second series, because we didn't yeah. have the same COVID restrictions as we did the first year. Yeah. Um, and, um, the couples have the opportunity to try things and what they get up to is really down to what they negotiate with the people who are yeah. in the, yeah. in, in the space. Um, and so we had a really wide variety of stuff that people got yeah. up to, um, <laughs> The issues that come up are are similar throughout the yes. series. People notice I noticed that. that. Yeah. yeah, people's insecurity comes up a lot because they don't they don't expect that that's going to be the thing that's going to going to be an issue for them. Um, in and what and one thing that I I noticed, um, which is such an obvious thing for a queer man to say, and probably other people have said it to you, is it's just so shocking that you know they're the the couples are um always or usually a man and a woman in a couple not always at the um, moment yes usually and they um they're interested in opening up and often when they're interested in inviting a third person into the bedroom with them um it's almost always a woman and the woman in the couple is usually the one who says i'm interested in you know, in exploring more with a woman and very rarely does the man say that. And that seems to be like, uh, that, that, that just is quite, I mean, it's surprising to me. I'm not surprising, but what do you make of that? What I think is really interesting with this series, um, with the last series was we had a lot that wasn't that, which was great Mm -hmm. because the stereotype is, you know, let's, let's have a threesome. I always tell people three is a really shitty number to start with. Start with four. Somebody always feels left out with three. Three takes a lot of, um, ability to manage your own feelings and things. Yeah. 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 Um, four takes less of that ability. Um, but, um, you know, the, the standard stereotype is, Oh, let's invite a girl and have a threesome. And that's as much for the men as it is for the women. Quite honestly, a lot of the times it's for the men, men want to watch. That's still the, the top five fantasies for men. Yeah. Um, you know, so, um, so there's that. But this year, you know, we had um, a guy on who wanted to explore whether he was bisexual and he had his right. first gay experience on the show. Right. That was really beautiful. And it was beautiful. It was really. Yeah. And it wasn't it wasn't stereotypically queer. Right. It wasn't right. the stereotypical stereotype gay male. You know, wham, yeah. bam, thank you, ma'am. It was yeah. tender and gentle mm-hmm. and really opened some people's eyes as to mm-hmm. how things can be. And also the conversations between him and his partner. I think her name was oh, Kirsty. Yes. I remember. Yes. And, and and she was on her own journey and they were talking together. They were just, it was the best they were just so great. Of com- best example of compersion right. I have ever seen. I will yeah. teach with that clip for the rest of my natural life. Compersion is when you get joy out of another person's joy. And yes. it's one of the it's things. It comes up a lot in kind of kink scenes and like, yep. you know, open sex scenarios. It, it, it's yeah. one of the things that really makes it easier to have multiple partners is if you can really feel good, but it, but it's, it's a life 
skill. It's a life skill, yeah. right? We just don't yeah. talk about it a lot outside of that. But it's yeah. one of the things that if you can feel joy when your partner's joyful, your mm-hmm. relationships just run so much better and, and yeah. you have so much more fun together. And these two are sitting down after they've gone and done their things and they're mm-hmm. so excited and they're giggling together. And it's yeah. just so beautiful. <laughs> there wasn't a shred of jealousy, a shred of upset. I mean, it was yeah. just a perfect example of what it can look like. Yeah. Yeah. We also had things where there was rejection that happened and that was great because rejection happens in the world. So what I love about the show is that there are bits of it that are very real. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, yes, there were more swingers than there were any other type of non-monogamy. That's not surprising Mm -hmm. to me because when you're starting from a couple, Mm -hmm. that's where you're more like from a monogamous couple, that's where you're Mm -hmm. more likely to end up. Um, would I like to have some queer couples? Absolutely. Um, you know, yes, please. <laughs> well, it's, you know, the thing is, is it's do you not, think it's logistically difficult as the producers of Love Island famously said? Um, it, it is different show. Yeah, I know it isn't. It, it, what's difficult is, um, getting people who are willing to be on camera mm-hmm. doing this mm-hmm. for a national yeah. show. Although that's interesting because I would have thought that queer couples, um, almost as a category, are more would would have been more open to doing that than uh, straight ones. My, that's maybe my uh, prejudice. It, they might be more open to doing it until they find out what kind of attention you end up getting. You've got to remember yeah. that it's it's really challenging. I mean, I think these people who do this are amazing. It's yeah. really challenging to talk about your intimate life on national television. It's even more challenging to be in sexual situations and things that are considered taboo on national television. And then to have to deal with what comes from that. And I think that sometimes we'll have people sign up and they'll get all the way through the process, ready to come and film. And then they realize what it's going to do to their job. Yeah. Um, and I, I know of and one they pull queer, out. Well, I, yeah, I knew of one queer couple that pulled out precisely because of of uh, because they were basically told at work, if you do that, you won't have a job. Wow. Um, and so that's not unusual. And I think also that although queer people might be more comfortable with the idea, if they're taking um, shit in their local communities already for being queer, yeah, then opening yourself up further, yeah. I mean, the kind of feedback that people get on social media, uh, you know, yeah. um, is is horrific. Yeah. Some of the things that people say and do because they think they can, right? Because they're yeah. they're anonymous, is horrific. And um, so it's it's actually a really big ask. It's it's an even bigger, you know, it's a big ask on top of the opening up ask. Yes. <laughs> so yes. Of course. First, you're doing a big thing, and now yeah. you're going to do the big thing in public. But yeah, people, I don't. I don't envy the producers who have to do the research to find these people no. and then book them. Well, lots of uh, people sign up, but then you know, of course, yeah, they drop you have out. to go through and see. So it's really interesting to me, also, because it's the whole. Um, you know, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it in public, and see how it goes. Yeah. Just see how that goes. And, and I, I'm, I'm like, yeah, it's quite okay. astonishing. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah. you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes people have really thought it through before they put themselves forward. Then I get yeah. a lot of people who write to me and say, I want to do that. I want to have that experience. 
but I don't want to do it on television. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry. I I can give you the experience of the, the therapy part of that, the opening up in a group. And, and I mean, when we, when I do a retreat, we have a really good time. I mean, we do really interesting things, but Mm -hmm. I don't have a group of people on hand that you can, you know, try and, and connect with because that's the sexy, the sexy singles. Right. I mean, mean, like that's, you know, where would I find those, you know, that's a lot of, that's a lot of money, right. You know, where would you find that? How would you set that up? Um, And so if you want to do this and you want that part of it, you don't want to have to look for a partner. Well, then you're going to have to do it on television and then people, or or it's just an extremely premium level retreat. Like well, hey, you just charge, yeah. you know, just I'd, charge for it. I'd charge a fortune. And yeah. And then you just get people, you know, sexy singles who are willing to go there and see what happens. You yeah. know, I, mean, I you volunteer could, as tribute. That would be fun. You could do that. It would be good fun. <laughs> but then I get people who will call me now and say, um, I don't know where to meet people. Can you help me meet people? I'm like, what okay. part of, what part of what I do? Do you not understand? Do not understand. That's not yeah. my, that, that part yeah. is not, I don't do that part. Um, right. So, Dr. Laurie, we, we should wrap it up, but I just want to ask you a, a real quick final question, which is if we're trying to get to this, you know, future world of free or freer sex, if you could press one button now that would make a change to help us to get there, what would that button be? Oh, God. I I think... I think it would be reasonable education okay yeah yeah i think it would be reasonable at all ages at all not ages. just in, not a school intervention yeah for everybody at, for yeah. everybody um and i and i think that would be the button that would get people to be more comfortable let's not even talk about kink bdsm mm-hmm. non-monogamy mm-hmm. i mean which are you know the alternatives yeah just having good heteronormative sex good <laughs> monogamous queer sex good mm-hmm. right um, yeah, those yeah. things rely on good education and, and, and it's people aren't getting it. Well, I mean, just let me say that speaking to me today, doing the Channel 4 show, doing the talks, you're pressing that button. So uh, thank you very much. It's been great to speak to you. My pleasure. It's been loads of fun. Thanks for listening to this episode. Let me know what you think of free sex, the idea or the podcast. Leave me a review and a star rating if you can. On social media, I'm at Adam Smith. Yes, that's Smith, but with a Z or a Z. Yeah, Smith. Mm. <laughs> it feels good in the mouth. <laughs> you can find more Aunt Nell productions on our website, auntnell.com. And on social, we're at auntnell underscore. The theme music is Trans Life by Othon. Hosted, produced and edited by Adam Smith. And the executive producer for Aunt Nell is Tash Walker. To all you loves and lovers, good night. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.